0: You're listening to the Banner Church podcast. Thank you so much for listening. For more information, visit us online at thebannerchurch.com. Church.com. out here. Hey, uh, we're in our Exodus series, so if you brought a Bible, crack that thing open to Exodus 13. Uh, this is our last sermon. We can't go through all of Exodus. I was thinking about trying to take it all the way to Christmas. Uh, we just man, it's hard to have the time for everything. Uh but don't worry, it's still in your Bible, and you can still read it when you're not here. So uh, you can continue the journey, uh, even though not together. Maybe if you are just so committed, you're like, I'm so sad we're done with Exodus, start a small group, lead through the rest of the book of Exodus. Cool. Gillian has put together, like, the dopest small groups for the spring, and I'm very excited. So, uh, so that's, sign-ups for that actually start in December. So, um, But, hey, we're going to be in our last part. Uh, Talking through Exodus, Exodus 13, I'm really excited about it. Uh, it As interesting as I was preparing this, uh, I've learned a couple things since moving here. One of them is I love everything about Arizona, everything, except for one thing, and that's how people drive. (laughs) Like... I love everything about Arizona except for how people drive. Someone last service loudly proclaimed, it's everyone who's from everywhere. And I would say, I've been through most of the country. They don't drive like that here, so it must be in the water or something. When they get here, that they drive like they're on fire and angry simultaneously. And so I have learned to compensate lest I die on the freeway. Uh, When my, my friend Dave moved down, we counted upside-down cars. I saw an upside-down car every week. I saw one upside-down car, four in a month. That's See, that's see. nobody from Arizona, everyone from Arizona was like, yeah, no, that's totally normal. <laughs> like, you only saw one a week? <laughs> Rookie. <laughs> None of them were on fire? Pish posh. Right? <laughs> right? Uh, and so I, I've learned, I kind of got a little aggressive, and I'm a very verbal person, And uh, what I've learned is that I could tell my child a million amazing, just God-fearing and lovely, lovely things. And the thing that she will remember and repeat and, like, put to music is what I scream at people in traffic, right? (laughs) Like when I was going to have a kid, people said, oh, kids are like sponges. What they don't tell you is they only soak up the dirty water. (laughs) Like, right? It's like, can't you just get anything good from me? Why do you get all the good stuff from your mom and all the bad words from your dad? (laughs) And so when I'm driving, I've had to learn to be careful because what I realize is my daughter will repeat those things. And I'm like, oh, I don't want you to say that at all. You know, she's internalizing, right? She's hearing internalizing, repeating. And, and as, as, as I was joking and kind of thinking through, like, how my daughter repeats this, I was thinking, like, okay, not even only um, these actions in the car, but all actions, my child is listening, they're dwelling on, and they're repeating, sometimes putting to music, it's not let it go, it's get out of the way, you know, like, they're, they're like, putting them to music, and then she has dance moves that go with them, all kinds of things. She's taking it to the next level. And, I, and so I began to think about the habits that I'm handing down to my children. It reminded me of before we had a kid, uh, I, I was told this phrase, and it always stuck with me, that whatever is not healed is handed down. And so when I had a kid, I, I, I became more vigilant about my habits and, and what I said and what I did, and, or I tried to be more vigilant about what I said and what I did, because I had in my mind, what is not healed is handed down. And, and I think that's, when I say that, it's not supernatural. It's not like some Harry Potter-esque, like you got some curse on you and you got a lightning bolt tattoo on your head or whatever, a scar, and that like goes down. Now you're powerful. You have something, a curse on your life. It's not that. It's just, I'm just talking learned behavior here, right? I'm not talking anything like hyper uh, supernatural. I'm talking learned behavior. What we see is normal to us, and we hand it down to others for the most part. Uh, when when I first started dating my wife, uh, I thought that my family's brand of crazy was the was the brand. I didn't realize there were lots of varieties uh, of crazy out there, and and we joke about this often. But when my family is very verbal family, and we express things very verbally, so if someone has a problem with somebody in my family, they do what I think is biblical. They tell them to their face. Now, when you're a teenager, you tell them to their face loudly and disrespectfully, and then your parents do what they should do and reprimand you, and you get in trouble. That's how it works, right? Because you're a punk and your hormones are exploding like fireworks. So, you know, that was my family. Katie and I have been together since I was like 16, 17 years old. And 17-year-old Josh was just an absolute gong show of emotions. And, uh, and so she would come over to my house, and my family would loudly argue about things. There's always resolution. It's great but loudly argue about things, except for my mom. So let me rephrase. My mom's looking at me like, no, we don't say it right. My dad and I would loudly <laughs> would loudly argue about things while my mom, the therapist, quietly sat there and said, how does that really make you guys feel? <laughs> but then I went to my wife's house, and no one argues about anything but internalizes everything. And as a boisterous, outgoing person, I thought I was going to die <laughs> because because they would all kind of like bite at each other when they're out of the room, and I would just loudly say whatever I'm thinking to them to their face, and they would cry or get angry or something. Um, and we, we got this difference. And so when Katie would come to my house, she would just go outside when we argued because she couldn't handle conflict. And you're like, really? I know her. She's very, you know, into conflict. No, she would go outside, and, <laughs> and she would leave the house because she couldn't deal with it. But that was totally normal to me. Why was it normal? Because that's what I came from. I came from loud people who make loud noises at each other to their face, right? <laughs> and so no surprise, my daughter is also a loud person that makes loud noises to people's face, <laughs> right? It is a generational thing. What, it's, what is it? It's not a generational curse. It's a generational consequence of behavior, of learned behavior. Are you with me? And so we use, people who have read Exodus 20, all the curse upon the fourth and fifth generation. A better word there would be a consequence. Because the sins of the father or the actions of the people above in the line of who's to come flow downstream to the young ones, right? We over-spiritualize everything. It's pretty straightforward. If you make choices, they will influence your children and the perspective and their choices. And that will influence their children and their choices and their perspective. And so what happens is it's not supernatural. It's about consequences. And those consequences build what I think is a better term called generational identity is that more than not, your family or your life, maybe you're the first one going into others, you have a generational identity. And I hear people, they make these jokes all the time. Oh, well, such and such, we, you know, that's just who the Wise are. That's just who the Johnsons are. You know, we're these kind of people. We do this kind of thing. We're loud like this. We get married at this time. We make these kind of mistakes. We're like this with money. Oh, there's always a fight. Are you with me? Did you ever say this about your family? Like that's just who we are. But I think so often what I see is a consistent flowing downhill of generational consequences and behavior, like pride. Like, oh, yeah, you know, the, you know, Smith, I'm trying to pick generic names here so I don't call anybody out. Uh, you know, the Smith men, you know, just struggle with pride, right? Maybe, maybe that's your family. Maybe you struggle with pride. Why? Because your father struggled with pride and you learned it from him. And you're like, where did he learn it from? I'm going to give you 10 guesses. They're all his father. Right? We learn things, that they're, they're passed down. Some of you, you are a first generation, maybe you didn't know your parents, but you're making choices now that will influence not only your decisions, but how those decisions affect not just children, but everybody who watches you. Maybe marriage. Maybe you've never had or seen good marriage. Marriages were always fights. They were always dramatic. They were always brutal. They were always against each other. And so you are getting ready to step into marriage and you're questioning, is this what it's really going to be like? Uh, You're not bringing a curse in, but if you make certain choices, you're going to bring some consequences. Maybe finances. I talk to people, and their finances are just so messed up. They're like, I can never make wise decisions. I never make wise decisions with my money. And then I meet their parents, and I'm like, yeah, because you never saw wise decisions modeled. And unless something changes, you will continue to live out the consequences of your actions. Right? It's generational identities. And this, as we look at Exodus, is the thing that blows my mind. Is that every one of us has received through Jesus Christ... The freedom of a new life. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that through him we might become the righteousness of God, right? We're told in scripture that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come, and yet there are many people who believe fully in Jesus Christ, believe that they have a Savior, but who are still living in slavery, they're not living in slavery out here. They're not living in slavery in chains. They're living, they're living in slavery right here and right here. See, God has taken you out of Egypt, but now he needs to take Egypt out of you. And that's what we're going to look at today. If you brought your Bible Crack that thing, Exodus 13, verse 17. We're going to pick up the Israelites are freed from Egypt. We've been talking about that. We talked about the plagues. Nothing is more chipper than talking about the plagues. I'm glad we're done with the plagues. You're glad we're done with the plagues. Everybody's glad we're done with the plagues. But I kind of always had a different perception, I think, than most people. I didn't realize that. I always thought the plagues were for Israel because God could have taken the Israelites out of Egypt any way he wanted. He's God. He's all-powerful. Maybe I just believe that God is who he says he is, and I just think, well, he could just be like, Israel, you're out, right? (laughs) But instead, he chose to do these very dramatic representations where he literally killed the gods of Egypt. Why would he do that? Who was he trying to show? Pharaoh? No, he hardened his heart. Who was God trying to show that God was God? And here's why. The Israelites were slaves for 400 years. Think about that. 400 years. How many generations were born with a slavery mindset? We are weak. We are powerless. We are brutalized. We are beaten. We are hurt. God does not hear us. God does not know us. The gods of Egypt must be more powerful than our God or else our God will. How many generations were born under the yoke of slavery How many generations passed down attitudes, dynamics. How many generations passed down learned habits and traits. How many generations began to worship other gods because, you know what, they're at least here. How many attitudes and traits were built up. And so Israel in this moment that we're about to leave, they're leaving Egypt as freed Egyptian slaves, not as free people. And there's a different mindset. They're leaving as freed former slaves, not as children of the Most High God. They have not Grab that identity yet. Here we are, Exodus 13. If you're with me, Exodus 13, verse 17, just say amen. Amen. Here it is, 17. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was neat. So he didn't take them the most obvious route, the closest way. For God said, lest the people change their mind, when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led, led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt to quit for battle. Skip down to verse 21. And the Lord went before them by day and in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way. And by night in a pillar of fire to give them light that they may might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. This is amazing. So it says, God said, okay, there's a really direct route that I can get you to the promised land. I can get my people to the promised land. But I know these people, and if I take them this way, they're going to encounter an adversary. Scripture says they came out prepared for battle. They came out in military ranks. So they came out ready to fight, or presumably so. They came out ready to fight a battle. They had warriors amongst their ranks. They didn't just find swords in the desert. They came out ready to fight. But as soon as they go up, God says, I'm not going to take you up that way. I'm going to take you around. Why? Because adversity will make you long for slavery if it's still your identity. This is so important. Adversity will always make us long for slavery if it's still part of our identity. Think about this. I, I was hanging out uh, with my brother Marcus, actually. We were talking about accents. We were at breakfast this week in different places having different accents. And, you know, if it's like how do you get an accent Well, you live with the same people and you listen to the same music and you do the same things and you all start talking the same. You all like the same things, right? You live in an area where everyone wears similar clothes. You are most likely going to wear those clothes. I mean, there's a high, 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 high probability that you will look, sound like, act like, be like the people that you live with. And so Israel has an identity that is accented by slavery. They have an identity that is accented by being slaves, meaning they believe that they are weak people. This is how slavery works. I love to study revolutions. One of the most fascinating revolutions to me is the Haitian Revolution. It is the most successful uh, slave revolution. It's amazing if you want to learn about it. It's, It's crazy and chaotic, but it's amazing. But what is mind blowing to me is in this moment, uh, before the revolution, slaves in Haiti outnumbered freed people, white people, a thousand to one. And the question was, why not just rise up and kill all the white people and be free? You're a thousand to one. Just get some sticks. And the answer is, they did. They they realized we are mighty, we are people, we do have value, we do have strength, we do have might, and they said, to heck with this, and they rose up, and they chased everybody off the island or killed them, and they were free. Obviously, that's a short version. But this is the mindset that Israel has. They are weak. They are not mighty. And though God has done all the plagues, he has shown them many things, they're now going to go and take their, they have all their armor on, they're ready to go. They're going to go take on their first enemy. And God goes, no, 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 I know you. If you see adversity and slavery is still a part of your identity, you're just going to go back to it. Can somebody close those outside doors for me? And I think it's interesting God says they haven't got it yet, but I'm going to do something that's going to show them that they are no longer identified as slaves. So here's what he does. Exodus 14 says, then the Lord said to Moses, verse 1, tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of this place I'm not going to pronounce, between Migdal and the sea, in front of Baal Zephon. I can do that one. You shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel. They are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so says, verse 5, when the king of Egypt was told that the people have fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servant was changed toward the people. And they said, what is this we have done that we let Israel go from serving us? So remember, they let about a million people who were basically their labor force go. And then they realized no one's going to build these pokey pyramids without them. And so they chased after him. It says, so they made, this, they made ready his chariot, took his army with them. took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers all over them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them. Verse 9. All Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army overtook them and encamped at the sea by whatever that name is in front of Balzaphon. So Pharaoh comes after the people of Egypt, or people of Israel, to enslave them. And my favorite thing about this is that God forces the issue. and God will do this in your life. Just watch. God will force the issue because we often think if I can run fast enough and far enough from the thing that enslaved me, I'll be fine. And God says, no, you will not be fine. You, you will not be fine until that thing is gone, vanished, defeated, and destroyed. Like it doesn't matter how far you run. I'm getting like, uh, I'm getting some songs in my head that are coming to my mind in this moment. But it doesn't matter how far you run from those things. Doesn't matter how far you go, if you have the mindset of slavery, if you were still in slavery, you will always want to return to slavery. So here's what happens. Because God doesn't want to just hide our Egypt. He wants to destroy it. Exodus 4, 14, 10. It says, when Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, this is this is flipping amazing. Remember, it just rained fire like six and a half days ago. <laughs> is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us, bringing us out of Egypt? Okay, this is and then it's going to go a step further. This is amazing. Verse twelve: Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Here's what they apparently told him. Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians, for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Think about that. We would rather be slaves. It would have been better for us to be brutally oppressed, to have our sons murdered and thrown into a river than to die in a desert. I think they're wrong. I would rather die a free person than a slave any day. I will die screaming in the desert by myself before I spent a day in slavery. It says, we would rather go back. Why would you bring us here? But isn't this how the world works? Isn't this how our mind works? That hardship will make the miserable past seem like the good old days? Like I, I move... <laughs> I lived in uh, Everett Washington before I moved here, and I was absolutely miserable. I mean I loved all my people there, my family, uh, but I, I was just miserable and, and I'd called out to god for for something more, something fresh, something new that I was going to give my life to and and we have that now, and I'm so thankful for Banner Church and what we 've done, and i'm just excited to give my whole life to to this place into this city into this valley. but our first year here was just absolute hell, and every day I just wanted to leave and go home and then I would like realize like home where? Like, I would have all these fond memories for, like, my street and, like, and different things. And then I'd, like, go home, and we'd be, like, kicking crackheads out of places, and there was a crack house on my street. And I'm, like, what? There's not even, my neighborhood wasn't even nice enough to have sidewalks. And I'm, like, what am I longing for, being overworked, underappreciated? Like, you know what I mean? But as soon as I hit adversity, it was, like, oh, man, oh, I just miss it so much. And Katie would be, like, what do you miss? Just being mad all the time and broke? I'm like oh yeah that's a really good point right <laughs> i hated that but isn't that funny that, that that's how we work right like we're a slave to a bad relationship Just a terrible relationship. Takes us places we do not want to go that does things that we do not want to do in our life. And we just cry out to God, God, I need deliverance. I need freedom from this. I need you to release me. God, I I, I don't know if there's a way out. I'm at the bottom. I need you in God because he's gracious and loving. He reaches down and he lifts us up and he gets us out of the relationship. And and we're single for like two months, three months. And all of a sudden we're like, oh, I I didn't realize I had to be single for so long. gonna go back to this I would rather be comfortable in my slavery than than to struggle through my singleness and so we go back to the very thing that chained us like you know she's not good for you like, you know she doesn't love Jesus. You know she doesn't live right. You know he's not a good man. You know he's a drunk idiot. But, for, but because we're like, God, how could you let me be single for a long time? I got to go back to it. And because we're coming up against adversity, we go back to our slavery because we've not broken it over our minds. Some of your families are a testimony to people who were not strong enough to stay in adversity so they went back to slavery. And you might be out of Egypt, but Egypt is not out of your mind. You might be out of Egypt. You come to church. You do the thing. We see you once every six weeks, and, you're out, you know, you're, you're out in your mind. But Egypt, you still live like a slave. You still live like a slave to him. You still live like a slave to her. You still live like a slave to addiction. You still live like a slave to the thing that's comfortable. You still live like a slave to pride. And why not? That's what your parents did. Why Why not? Why not just keep it rolling downhill? But God has come not so that we would just be free from Egypt out here, but that we would be free from Egypt in here. And we all do fine. Until we come up against an obstacle. See, Israel was fine with the freedom because they had gold. Remember, they pillaged the people of Egypt. They had gold. But as soon as they got to an immovable, impassable object that they could not see over, that they could not get to, all of a sudden it was like, God, why did you do this? I was happy in my slavery. God, why why did you take me here? Why have you brought me here? God, this isn't what I I saw. This isn't what you promised me. This isn't what I thought was going to happen. How come you brought me to this thing that I, I can't get over by myself, this financial barrier, this relational isolation? God, th- this time where I feel like things are going the way I want in my job, how come you have brought me here? And God said, you were crying out for deliverance. I brought you to this place, but now you got a choice. Will you trust me? You know what another phrase is? Am I enough for you? Yeah, I know you can't get over the Red Sea. Am I enough to get you over? Do you trust me? Me. Will you trust me when things get difficult? Will you trust me or you, will you return to your chains? There is no middle ground. If someone told you there was, they lied to you. Will you trust in God or will you go back to slavery? You'll be a slave to sin or a slave to righteousness. That's how it works. And so here's what happens. If you're with me, say amen. Exodus 14, 13, one of my favorite scriptures. I I did a calligraphy thing of this for some good friends of ours whose child was going through cancer treatment and uh, they hung it up on the wall and it's always stood stood out to me. It says, and Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. And then verse 14, if you're an underliner, underline. It says, the Lord will fight for you. You have only to be silent. The other phrase is, you have only to be still. Basically, he's saying, listen, it wasn't your power that got you here. And it's not going to be your power that gets you there. So why don't you chill out? If it wasn't your power that saved you from, from this situation and from this hole and from this pit that brought your life back together after you ripped it to pieces or someone ripped it to pieces for you, then why are you stressing about getting to here? If it was impossible for you to get to there to here, then why is it so impossible for you to get to there to there? Both come by the power of God. And I love that God says, I'm glad that you see him. He says that to the Israelites, I'm glad that you see the Egyptians coming. This is my favorite thing. I, I love the Lord and, and how he speaks through his word. He says, I'm glad that you see Him because I'm about to absolutely destroy them, and I want you to see it. How cool is that? He's like, listen, I just promised you like literally six verses earlier, and I know you've already forgotten the promises, but I'm going to remind you, I told you I was going to let you wander around and look dumb. And then I was going to use you to cross over. And I was going to smash this whole entire, the most powerful empire of its century. I'm going to smash it in front of you. You're not, I mean, you're not going to do anything, but I'm going to smash it. And I love that he's trying to teach Israel, you are not weak. You are not lesser. You are not slaves. You are children of God. You serve a mighty powerful God. You serve a God who can break your chains. You serve a God who can deliver you. You serve a God who can get you over the impossible, the impossible things that only need the miraculous to get over. You serve a mighty God. And so this moment he says, look at when I kill these Egyptians that you see and then you're never going to see again, I'm going to break the slavery mindset over you, over your generations, and over your family. It ends today. So here's what he does, Exodus fourteen twenty-one. Says so Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove back the sea by a strong east wind all night, and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And said, And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on the right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea, and all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And in the morning watch the Lord in the pillar of fire and of cloud. Looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, let us flee from before Israel for the Lord, not a Lord, not some Lord, but the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. 26, and the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea, that my water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and their horsemen, all the hosts of the Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained." Verse 29, but the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them, the right and their left. And get this, verse 30 and 31. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord. They believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. Were the Israelites free before the Red Sea? Yes. But I don't think to them. They weren't free. They they had left a place. They had run and escaped. But they were runaway slaves. They were not free men. And I think there's a difference. There's a difference in your identity When you are a free person, that you are not made for slavery, that you are released. And so passing through the Red Sea was this symbolic moment where Israel had to trust in God where Israel had to cross from the place of their slavery to the place of their promise, where Israel had to fully leave behind everything they had known for 400 years, multiple generations, everything that had passed down and taught in their families, everything they had seen and known. They had to leave it all behind, not only your generation, but your parents' generation and your parents' generation. No one had seen anything outside of this. They had to leave it all behind. But when they crossed, they got to see the symbol of their slavery, of their oppression, not just beaten back, not just pushed away, not just delayed, but destroyed and washed away. I don't think that symbolism is lost on God. I don't think that's mistaken that he put this in, that the very people that beat them, that oppressed them, that killed their children, that sought after them, now lay dead at their feet on the shores, having been completely destroyed and washed away. Tell me that wouldn't be an awesome feeling. You see that sucker that was beating you with a whip, that was killing your children, washed right up on the shore, right? You talk about their hold on you being broken. See, God doesn't want to just release you from Egypt. He wants to destroy Egypt. He, he hates Sid. He wants to crush it. He wants to wash it all away. Talk about burning a bridge, right? You can't go back if you want to. Are they all dead? But this is so important is that God wants to take Israel out of Egypt. But hear me, God wants to take Egypt out of Israel. He takes them after this for for three days to a place where where they gather and they wait before they continue on. And I love that because when you look at the days that they've been waiting and look at the days that they were waiting, that means there was nothing inside of them. You all know what I'm talking about. There was nothing inside of them that remained from Egypt. Think about that. God wants to get everything of Egypt out of his people. And so he brings them to the mountain and he gives them the law. And we're like, oh man, the law is so mean. He's trying to retrain their brain. Stop worshiping Baal. That golden calf didn't come out of nowhere. That was a consistent Canaanite practice that came from the pre-Egyptians that were ruling when they were taken as slaves. See, the Israelites always struggled because though they had become free people in their mind, they were always slaves. They had old ways, old habits, old problems, generational issues. But if you want to get free, you not only got to get out of Egypt, but you got to get everything of Egypt out of you, out of your mind, out of your, out of your heart. When your heart goes, your habits follow. Everything's got to come out. You got to break those chains. God has to break the chains of slavery from you, from your identity, from your family. My favorite thing is that Jesus opened a way for us to cross from slavery to freedom. So we don't have a Red Sea, but he made a way through his blood to part that we might cross over from our place of sin to his place of righteousness. John 14, 6 says, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Let me sum that up for you in case you live in this postmodern world we live in. There is one way to God. There is one there's not two there's not a hundred there's not the one you think or suggest there is one way to the Father and that's through Jesus there is one way through the Red Sea you cannot take a boat or a tram or a ferry like there is one way and it's the way that Jesus has made to God that's why Hebrews 10:19 says we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus by his death Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. See, you and I, we were trapped in sin. I don't know if you knew this. Maybe, maybe you came in, you've never heard this before. But I'll tell you, for me, I was trapped in sin on this side of the Red Sea, pursued by my slavery and pushed towards my imminent death. But Jesus, because he's merciful and loving and good, came and died for my sins and died for your sins. And he parted what I could not cross and he bridged it for me so that I might cross into a life of righteousness being covered by his blood. And then he made a way. And we preach that all the time, and yet what I see more often than not is a lot of people admitting that God is freedom, but still bringing their chains through the Red Sea with them. How many, like Jesus-believing Christians, do you know? You're like, I mean, it's not me, but I, I know one that has received the freedom, but has a deep fondness for slavery. Like it's so comfortable that we. Bring our chains with us everywhere we go. We go to a new church thinking it's going to be different. But it's not because we can hear you clanking down the street. (laughs) Bringing the same chains. This is subtle yearning for our own Egypt. Subtle yearning for what we've known for generations. And I'm not trying to harsh on you. Some of you, you're just getting the hand-me-downs. But you can break it. Because I want to tell you two things. I'm going to invite our band up. Two things this morning. One, if slavery is on the table, you will never be free. Until you go from being a runaway slave to a free child of God, you will not be free. Until there is no option for return, you're, you will always want to. Right? That's how we work. God, free me. God, I'm in this dark place. God, I'm in this depression. God, I'm in this relationship. God, I'm in this situation. God, I'm in this, God, would you free me? God, would you release me? God, would you do something in my life? And God does, because I watch him do it in your lives all the time and in my life. And he frees us and he lifts us up. And then we're walking. And what happens? We hit that obstacle and we're like, God, I I can't overcome this. I don't know. Where are you? Why don't you talk to me? Why don't you speak to me like you did? All right, well, I'm just going to go back over here. I'm just gonna go back to this place. Because this is what I know, so my family's known. Some of you, you have received an inheritance of pride that you need to break. Because you are living the consequences of your pride. Because you watched your family live with the consequences of pride, who watched their family live with the consequences of pride, who, spoiler alert, probably watch their family and live with the consequences of pride. You're like, that's a generational curse. Ain't nobody put a curse on you. You just make bad choices, and you need to learn to make good choices. Some of you, you see marriage is so broken, and maybe you're preparing to get married, and you're like, oh, my gosh, I don't know. I don't know about this. I mean, I, they, that's just what our family does. They just can't keep a marriage together. Every couple years, you know, it just comes up. It's like, listen. The faithfulness that you walk with God right now can break chains of unfaithfulness. Some of you, it's like, I just come from a family of lustful people. It's like, you know what? The only person who who drags the chains of lust and pornography across the Red Sea of redemption is you. So if you want to leave them, you can. If you want to bring them, you can. That's up to you. We serve a God that gives you a choice, and you have a choice today. Do I bring them or do I leave them? God has given you freedom for slavery, but you've got to let go, and you've got to get healing and freedom from the slavery that's in your heart and your mind. He not only wants to take you out of slavery, he wants to take slavery out of you. So the second thing I want to tell you this morning is you've got to choose today to cross over. They had a a river, a sea. There's lots of moments in scripture with rivers. I don't have a river. I did think about letting a hose loose in here, but it's a liability. We have an altar. People are like, why do we have an altar? We have an altar so you can cross over. So you can make a monument moment where you say, you know what? I've been carrying these chains. I inherited these. They got my, everybody in my family just engraves their name on a link every year. We add new people. We just add to it. It's like a whole thing. And I said, you know what? What if you left those and had those broken out for you and you made a moment where you came forward and said, God, I'm done with this. I'm done with this. I'm done with this. I'm done with handing down lust to the next generation. Man, could you imagine a church where a bunch of men were just just ballsy enough to say, I'm tired of handing down pornography to the next group of young men, and I don't have kids, I don't know when I'm going to have kids, or maybe I do have kids, but you know what, I'm willing to make decisions now to say I break those chains. Can you imagine in your life what it would look like for your future if you made a decision to say you know what as much as they feel good in my flesh I'm going to break the chains of bad relationships that I keep going back to and compromising my integrity what would that look like but you got to cross over you got to make that monument moment you got to make that step church we do not need to be informed you need to be transformed You don't need to know what I'm saying. You need to know in your heart what I'm saying, what the word is saying to you this morning, which is whatever is not healed is handed down. There's some of you, you are fighting that in your brain, and I just want to hear you because it drives type A personalities crazy. You're wrong. Whatever is not healed is handed down. If you do not get healed of it, just wait till your kids do it because they will. And so you make a choice and say, God has set me free and I will be free indeed. I will live in freedom. I will cross over. I will come to the altar. I will lay it down at your feet and I will say, God, I might have inherited this, but I will not leave with it. It will be broken over my life. And so I don't know what you did yesterday, but you can choose today to cross over into freedom. Today is the day to break the chains over your life and leave Egypt in Egypt so that God might destroy it and wash it away from you. you got to choose, do I trust God? Do I trust Him? That's a big question. Do I trust God? I feel like often we, we pray for a life where there's miraculous things, but then when we come across obstacles that are impossible for us to overcome, we're like, oh, God, why did you bring me here? He's like, you asked for miracles. You can't have miracles. You cannot have a miraculous marriage unless you encounter something that only God can overcome. You cannot have a miraculous testimony unless you encounter something that only God can overcome. Stop getting mad at him for bringing you the possibility for miracles. But you got to choose today to cross from a place of slavery to the place of the promise, and you can't bring your chains with you. So the question that I ask everybody is, are you ready re- to receive the victory of Jesus Christ and to break the chains? And if you are, if you are, then the Lord is faithful to fulfill what he's promised. And he will break that over your life by the power of the Holy Spirit to the blood of Jesus Christ. But you got to choose. Would you stand with me this morning? You close your eyes with me. We're gonna do one thing, and then I'm gonna I'm gonna give you an opportunity to cross over. We don't have a river; we got an altar. I'm gonna give you an opportunity to come before the altar. Maybe you've never done that, but symbolically, you're gonna take a step for your family. We're gonna do that in just a moment. But before we do that, before we go there, every eye closed, every head bowed. I just I'm speaking to that person today who has never received the freedom that comes through a new life in Jesus Christ. Maybe you've never even heard that God loved you so much that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That you and I, we have a weight of dead and sin that we cannot save ourselves, we cannot pay ourselves, and yet God sent his son so that anyone who is in him who says, God, I choose to follow you as a new creation, the old is gone, the new has come. That God sent him who had no sin to be sin for us so that through him, meaning Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. So that when God, in the end, judges the earth, he will not see your sin, your shame. He will not see your guilt. He will just see the righteousness of Jesus covering you. And maybe this morning you've never received that. you never began that journey. you never said, God, I choose to follow you with my life. And this morning... You're not even to the Red Sea. You're still in Egypt, and you're like, God, I got to get out of Egypt, let alone get Egypt out of me. And this morning, you're wanting to say, God, I choose today to follow you with my life. If that's you, would you just lift your hand up and put it back down? Thank you. Thank you. I want to pray for you this morning. If that's you, every eye closed, every head bowed. We're just going to agree together for those that raise their hand and celebrate them in agreement. But if you're one of those people, in fact, let's all just repeat together in agreement. But let's repeat this. Would you repeat after me? Dear Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Thank you for your love. Thank you for paying my debt. I choose today to lay my life down at your feet and follow you With all of my heart, in Jesus' name, amen. Can we celebrate this morning, those that gave their lives? This one, this one we do, eyes open. This one we do, eyes open, because I want you to make a monument step this morning in your life. Some of you, it's going to be symbolically for your family. Some of you, it's going to be for yourself. Some of you, it's going to be prophetically over your future. But there are chains in your life or your family. There are things that you're like, you know what? I'm not taking that out the door. I'm not taking that into the next generation. I'm not taking bitterness into the next generation. That ends here. I'm not taking the negative self-talk over us. Even one more step forward, that ends here today. That ends by God's power here today. I want to be released of that today. Some of you are going to make a step. And so I'm going to invite you to cross over into this altar space right here in just a second. If that's you, I, I just encourage you, don't wait. Don't wait. Be free. Leave free. But one, if that's you and you're saying this morning, and I'm going to pray for you when you come forward. But one, if that's you and you're saying, you know what? I don't want to leave with, that, with what I came in with. I want to be free of that today two maybe you've inherited something uh, a generational identity and you're like you know what i want that to be broken not only for myself but over everyone to follow me i want that broken in my life three finally i want to invite you forward if you're saying you know what today god i i don't necessarily see you over the red sea but i choose to trust you because i don't want to go back to slavery so even though i'm scared and i'm frustrated and i'm upset a little bit God, I'm just going to choose to trust you again. If that's you today and you're going to make that crossing over moment, crossing over the Red Sea symbolically to come to the altar to say, I'm leaving it, I'm not taking it, I'm breaking it, every chain over my generations to come. And I trust you, Lord. Would you come forward today? I want to pray for you. One, two, three. All the way in, brother, come all the way in. All right, anybody else this morning? Thank you. Let's do this. If you're up here with me, would you just lift your hands? We're just going to be receiving together this morning. Lifting our hands is just a symbol of surrender. It's a symbol of releasing it to God. A symbol of receiving it's dual nature so i want to pray for you and, and as as i pray my prayer for each one of you is to begin to say god i trust you god i give it to you god i surrender it here and now and then just simply to ask him as we pray how would you break these things over my life over my family, over our generations. Let's pray together this morning. And you might feel a hand on your shoulder from our prayer team. They're going to be around praying for people, putting their hands on you. So don't freak out. Well, let's pray. God, we pray right now in the name of Jesus over every person in this place. God, whether they have inherited or whether they have lived out the consequences, of generational actions and identities. Maybe it's hurt, hurt done to families that is passed down. God, are things that are spoken, or things they spoke speak over themselves, or choices, whatever it might be, God, we pray a release in the name of Jesus. That we are free people by your power and under your authority. That we are free in the name of Jesus. That nothing reigns over us. Nothing is greater than you but that you are mighty and true and you are king and you have authority so i pray every chain broken would you disagree with me in the church this morning god we pray every chain broken We pray every slave released. We pray every hope restored. We pray every dream restored in the name of Jesus. And God, I pray right now everything that has bound up, whether individuals or families, maybe for generations upon generations, would be broken and released, God. Every bit of Egypt taken out, destroyed. Washed away, that there would be a new beginning in the name of Jesus. God, that you are good and powerful to do the work that you promised. So I pray in the name of Jesus that it will be broken and released from this day forward, that it would be left at the altar, that this is a step of crossing over, this is a step of going deeper than ever before and believing for greater than ever before. We give it to you in the name of Jesus. And I pray that every person in this place would leave free God that we would leave everything here and we would leave in the freedom that comes to the most high God we worship you in Jesus name let's worship him together